The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. And God. Very good. Thank you, everybody. We've done a lot of stuff. Turn. You may be seated. Um, just... Boy, appreciate all of the work today. Uh, uh, Isaiah chapter number 11. Isaiah chapter number 11. Now, um, Allison and I were meeting this past week about some music things and kind of just talking through this whole series we're coming up to. And she encouraged me uh, to read the passages that I'd be preaching on, and I really appreciated that. And the more I thought about it, um, I think it's, it's good advice and wisdom because... Um, when we get to the Old Testament, I suspect that you're not as familiar um, with the text we'll be preaching from. And so uh, reading them, I think, would be very, very helpful. Uh, I'm a regular reader of Isaiah. I've encouraged you to follow that as well. I read chapters 40 through 55 twice each month. I regularly read about eight other chapters out of Isaiah. Uh, it is an incredibly important book if you want to understand uh, how to live well in the midst of turmoil and hardship and darkness. For Isaiah's writing to a nation in um, captivity and moving into deeper captivity, a wayward people that God, through Isaiah, gives hope to. And certainly that is highly um, you know, applicable for our day. Isaiah 11, some of this may sound familiar coming out of the Christmas season, but as we um, this day think about the epiphany of our Lord, the manifestation of Jesus to the Gentiles, the coming of the Magi, probably a year or maybe two years after the birth of Jesus, uh, we are reminded that it was always God's intention for the nations to come through a faithful Israelite, and that faithful Israelite's name is Jesus Christ. Identified in verse 1 as a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall... Not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and uh, with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters 
cover the sea. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, to which shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall indeed be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from uh, Pathros and Cush and Elam and Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. They shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon shall obey them, and the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, and with his mighty wind he shall shake his hand over the river, and shall smite it in the seven streams, and make men go over dry shod, and there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day he came out of the land of Egypt, and on that day Thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy... Shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation? And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord. For he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout. Thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee, the word of the Lord. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Of the many great memories Rhonda and I have as uh, parents of two, two boys is uh, when we would take trips, long drives. Uh, mostly down south, sometimes out west, uh, to visit family and friends. And Rhonda was always very good at creating a road trip playlist. Uh, we would listen to the Narnia series or to the great singers and songwriters of the 60s and, uh, and of course, of the golden oldies. Um, our kids were well-versed in Nat King Cole and Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett. Um, and, and music, this kind of eclectic mix of music that they still enjoy today, along with um, the great classics um, that were written. But in this series, Songs of Rejoicing, what I've done is created a playlist of sorts that I pray will reel us into 
God's great plans and purposes for the nations through the manifestation of Jesus Christ in the church. And what I want to do uh, is to present portions of Isaiah's prophecy that relate to his work as an advocate, as an advocate. Some of Isaiah's prophecy is railing against sin, but much of Isaiah's prophecy as an advocate, and I'll, I'll quote the study notes from the Reformation Study Bible, uh, and here's the quote, uh, that Isaiah calls on the godly to seek the Lord, to hope for God's kingdom, to experience God's peace within, and to respond with faith to God's new acts of redemption. And I think that is really a great guide for the church. Living in the midst of spiritual decline and darkness, that we are to seek the Lord, we are to hope for God's kingdom, we are to have peace within, and we are to respond with faith to the new way that God is acting in his redemptive plan, which for Americans, the harsh reality will be is that America is no longer appears to be the central place where God's redemptive plan is actively at work. And that's hard for Americans to understand because we acquaint money with power. God says, no, it's where my spirit is at work, is where the power is. And a lot of the nations without money right now have the spirit of God actively working in them. Oh, that were true of us as well as a nation. But as we listen to and are pulled in by these songs of rejoicing, I do pray that we will find renewed hope. And that hope will produce a lasting joy regardless of what the landscape of America looks like spiritually in the months or year or years uh, to come. I want to remind you that Christian hope is not a prolonged agony as we you know, wait for a bitter end to our life here on earth. In fact, it is quite opposite. Christian hope is rooted in God's plan for the consummation of the ages through his servant, the one identified in verse 1 of chapter 11, a rod that comes forth from the stem of Jesse. That rod and branch is the one we're told in verses 2 and following that the spirit will rest upon. And as you think about chapter number 11, two things kind of float to the surface of what Isaiah is writing, and those things will then kind of frame for us why we can have this song of rejoicing in chapter number 12. The first thing that becomes evident in chapter 11 is uh, what Isaiah calls righteous judgments. Righteous judgments in verse number four. It is with righteousness that he will judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. Righteous judgments. The second um, thing that rises to the surface is that the redemption that God has planned for Israel will outdistance that which the people of Israel experienced when they came out of Egypt through the great deliverance of the Red Sea. If you read Isaiah's prophecy and certainly other prophets of the Old Testament, 
they keep referencing back to the deliverance out of Egypt through the Red Sea as a shadow of what will come in a greater deliverance like Isaiah is pointing towards. This greater deliverance that is going to outdistance then the deliverance of uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt. And then all of this results as the spirit-filled rod and branch accomplishes this work, then a unification of the natural world will unfold along with a glorious elevation of the rod and branch. And so as the work of the gospel goes forward, and as heaven and earth are joined closer and closer together through the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit, what Isaiah envisions is that the natural world begins to respond, and as the natural world begins to respond, then this servant, this branch, this rod, will be elevated with a glorious elevation. And then that elevation is not only in the natural world, but also uh, elevated among those who are considered to be outside of the blessing of Israel. The covenant made to Abraham and renewed with Isaac and Jacob is then offered to those people, the people of the Gentiles, who also then begin to seek this root of David. And all of that kind of unfolding in chapter number 11, where through the mighty work of God and what is envisioned by Isaiah, not only will the natural world come together in unity, and we read that in verses 6 and following. I was thinking about it this week as I was walking Noah to school this week one morning, and we were singing uh, Christmas songs, and we sang uh, Joy to the World, and As Far as the Curse is Found. And I was just like dumping a little bit of theology into that five-year-old mind that, uh, you know, when the dogs bark and you're afraid or you see something that you're afraid of, you know, uh, thunder or lightning, don't, one day all of, all of that's going to be gone. All that fear is going to be gone. And we're going to be able to interact with the natural world in a way that demonstrates complete unity as the curse is lifted. And we'll be able to interact one with another uh, in the same way. All of this made possible through then... The promise Isaiah sets forth that God is doing through the stem, through the stem of Jesse. And as this happens, Isaiah tells the people of Israel that God will recover the remnant of his people. He will assemble the outcast of Israel and the dispersed of Judah, even from the four corners of the earth. And um, I, I read this this morning. Uh, Eric gave me a, a wonderful daily read of C.S. Lewis um, for Christmas. And Lewis had this to say in, the, in the, um, the, the thought this morning that the people of Israel came to realize that it is their woes which are saving the world. It is their woes which are saving the world. Israel's captivity, Israel's dispersion, the faithful remnant that remain are then blessed as a global unification begins to take place even through the agony and the hardship of a people under much persecution. And this hope then, the hope of Israel, which by the way is our hope, the hope of the world, it is pictured as a highway. A highway that is clearly marked by God on which his people travel, as in the days of the Exodus, that a 
path was made through the sea, uh, so a path is made for us. And what Isaiah is advocating for is that all of this hopeful language is only possible because of God, who, in covenant faithfulness towards Israel, will be merciful to the entire world, which is in need of salvation, and that the building and completion of this highway will be marked by wisdom. It'll be marked by righteousness, and it will be marked by justice. In post-World War II America, the leaders of government, along with captains of industry, came together and decided that for America to take her place on the world stage, we as a nation would need to become an automobile society. And this meant, among other things, that the very structure of the landscape of our nation would have to change. Instead of travel on secondary roads, travel would need to happen on highways, large, expansive roadways with multiple lanes that had easy access, of course, to goods and services, and that were safe and well-maintained, the interstate highway system. Uh, I am a direct beneficiary of those decisions because my dad drove his International Transtar or his Kenworth for millions of miles across those interstates, thus putting food on our table. But of course, others did not fare as well. Small towns went bankrupt as people left the state highway for the interstate. But another social problem arose from this decision. Planning committees knew that for major highways to be built in urban areas, that entire neighborhoods would have to be exterminated. Homes, businesses, and schools that served generations of families would have to be plowed under for the interstate highway to come through a city. And of course, the neighborhoods in Many cities that were chosen were those that were least advantaged, those with no ec real economic power, no political power. And it was easy then to just move people. And um, I, I would not suggest this without doing much reading and research, that what is true of the urban black population today is a result of those decisions that were made For be before those neighborhoods were obliterated, many uh, in the black population had intact families and jobs and businesses until they were forced to relocate so that the roads could come through, uprooted and moved in places where they would not and perhaps could not thrive. But when the root of Jesse brings the kingdom of God into view with its highway, what we're told is that it will be filled with justice. It will be filled with fairness. It will be a place of equity. This metaphor of the highway is used four times in Isaiah's prophecy. It would not have been an abstract idea for the people of Israel because of the highway that they well uh, understood. And her excellent book titled Rediscovering Israel. Christy McClellan writes this about one reason why God chose Canaan to 
be the place where he would begin his people with Abraham. She writes this, In Abram's day, there was an important public road referred to today by today's scholars as the International Coastal Highway. It passed directly through Canaan. When God moves Abram from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan, because he is placing him in the mix of humanity in this multicultural part of the world. She writes, Canaan serves as a land bridge connecting three different countries or continents. Africa to the south, Europe to the northwest, and Asia to the east. The nations bring their commerce and trade through this intercoastal highway. It provides insight, right, as to why there were so many wars in that region in antiquity. And McClellan writes this, it is not so much about the control of the land, rather, whoever controlled the highway controlled the trade. The Magi most likely traveled on that road when they came from the east to the west. And if you pull this forward then into the time of Jesus and you change the uh, example from worldwide trade to worldwide salvation, you begin to see how strategic Israel becomes. For out of Israel, God's salvation would pour forth. The highway that Isaiah sees being built may have been originally developed for economic purposes, but now, coming out of God's promises, it is a highway through which salvation is going to come. And just as God made a roadway for Israel coming out of Egypt, God is going to make a highway for the remnant of his people to travel through a son of Abraham and a son of David. And the wealth of Israel will no longer be an economic wealth, but it will be a spiritual wealth. And unlike the urban planners that destroyed the fabric of neighborhoods and large cities in post-World War II America, the work of the one who has the spirit of the Lord resting on him will build a highway filled with wisdom. It'll be filled with understanding. It'll be filled with counsel. And it will be filled with might. Because this servant who is both the builder and the highway himself lives in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And righteousness will be the belt of his loins. And faithfulness will be the belt of his waist. And this is why Isaiah calls it a way of holiness. A highway of holiness that the remnant of his people will travel when the root and rod and branch, the stem of Jesse, comes into the world. Which, of course, happened, and we just finished celebrating its coming with Christmas, the birth of Jesus. The angels tell us that it is Christ the Lord who is bringing salvation. And it is Christ the Lord, then, that Isaiah envisions. And as we learn about, <coughs> excuse me, Christ the Lord in the Gospels, and as his life is explained in the apostolic teachings of the church, what we find is that the way Jesus constructs this highway 
is by giving himself. He gives himself. He is the highway of holiness. Jesus is the one upon uh, each of us is to travel. And you say, well, how, how is that possible? Well, for justice to come and for righteousness to prevail, the great enemy of sin and death had to be defeated. For the promise of chapter 11, this unification of the natural world, for the curse to be lifted, for the nations to come together, the life of the faithful servant of God, Jesus Christ, this faithful son of Abraham, it would be through him that salvation would come. And this brings us to the first song on our playlist. And that song is found in chapter number 12. It's a song filled with hope. It's a song filled with much rejoicing. It is a song that tells us that the anger and the wrath of God is turned away and it calls us, it reels us in to trust God, the one who is our salvation, and to not be afraid. In his commentary on the first few verses of chapter 12, J.A. Motier observes that in the song in chapter 12, it is there to remind us that just as Israel sang after their deliverance from the bondage and tyranny of Egypt, so God's people are to sing songs of Jesus Christ who deliver us from greater bondage and tyranny of Egypt. I've, I've quite honestly, and please, if I'm stepping on your toes, think about what I'm saying. I've never understood Christians who won't sing. Who won't sing. I'm not saying won't sing well. I'm saying literally stand there with your mouths closed when singing's going. I, I've never understood it. We are a singing faith. For the, the deliverance, the bondage, the tyranny we have been delivered, of, delivered from is so much more than even the Israelites out of Egypt. And it reminds us to look to Jesus, the one who is our strength and our song, the one who has become our salvation. The holy God of chapter number 6 has not changed. And as we live with this awareness of our sins and as we are reminded that we're often weary and discouraged, that we're failing and we're faltering, and yet we too, either individually or as a community, are invited to draw water from the well of salvation, the well of salvation that the living God has provided through Jesus Christ. You know, the first readers of this prophecy might have had good reasons to scoff. They might have known what it was like to be thirsty, to be filled with dirt and sand and danger of travel. They not only knew that in real life, but they knew it spiritually as well. They knew that God had forsaken, that God had put them into exile, and they knew that they were being judged for it. And much like us, we too wonder, can this be true? Can God recover us? Can God bring about a salvation that will reach to the ends of the earth? Can God actually do that? And the thing we need to do then is consider the evidence for what happened 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem is proclaimed throughout all of the earth. 
the one who was fastened to a cross of wood, the one who would die in agony and shame and yet rose from the dead and ascended and is seated at his right hand of the throne on high who has dispatched his spirit to fill the life of the church so that the gospel goes out throughout the whole earth. And that highway of salvation began to be built in Jerusalem. It went to Judea. It went to Samaria. It went to the uttermost parts of the earth. And today it is being built and it is growing wide and deep in uh, South America and Africa and throughout Asia. It's growing amongst the poor and the disenfranchised in ways that Western Europe and America just kind of looks at it and, and kind of goes, huh? Because again, how we view Christianity and the trappings of Christianity as a religion, which is not how God is growing his kingdom in the world. And we wonder if it will ever grow again here in our region. And that's God's work. We have to give it to God and we have to rejoice that a highway has been constructed and we have to remember that as we walk on it, we will one day walk into its completion, into its full consummation. As Isaiah says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so what's important to ask right now is this. Is the person that the song of Isaiah 12 points you to, is that somebody you actually know? Do you actually know Jesus Christ? Is he someone that you're growing into? Is he someone that you're becoming like? Is the highway of holiness running in your life? Is it running in our church? And if not, what do we need to change? Isaiah made it clear in the first six chapters of his prophecy that deep repentance was missing in Israel. Perhaps it is missing in us as well. And of course that can change today because what Isaiah is ultimately advocating for is faith in Jesus Christ and the good news that God's salvation has come for salvation is God's business. We cannot save ourselves. And so may we turn away from the offerings of this world and may we travel on the highway that God has constructed in Jesus Christ. Faith is the vehicle we travel in. Hope is the headlights that point the way. Love will indeed fill the journey. And so together, let us sing songs of salvation, both to ourselves and to the world. Amen. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to speak your word this morning. And I pray that you would embed it deeply in our hearts. Challenge us, O oh God, with the work that you are doing in and through our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose blessed name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.